Introduction to Romans. Last week we read the first eight chapters of Romans. And uh, so we're going to be elaborating on those eight chapters in the next few weeks. And no other book in the Bible has probably had more influence on modern Protestant America than the book of Romans. I mean, we know all the Bible is important. But Protestant, which Protestant means your churches that aren't Catholics, <laughs> Protestant America, no other book but Romans has probably had, the more, has had more influence on it. It's, it's the book that Martin Luther was so... Not Martin Luther King. I know it's Martin Luther King uh, Day on Monday, but we were... Martin Luther, the guy who started what's now called the Protestant Reformation, was so influenced by the book of Romans. And so we're going to look at the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a wonderful book written uh, by a man named uh, Paul, who used to be Saul. Saul is his pre, uh, pre-apostle apostle name. He, he has a face-to-face. You can read about it in the book of Acts and several other places in his letters. He has a face-to-face with Jesus Christ. He's on the road to Damascus. And he who is the, in 1 Timothy, he calls himself the worst of all sinners. And he sees... God comes, Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he says, well, I don't know who you are. <laughs> he says, I'm Jesus Christ. And his eyes are blind, and it's not until he goes and talks to someone else that his eye, he's, he's able to see. He believes in Jesus Christ, and he becomes a missionary for someone he used to be persecuting against. Now he becomes a missionary for Jesus and as he writes the book of Romans, there's so, several things on his mind, but one of the things on his mind, we, we read through it, is he's got to be wondering how he, the worst of sinners, can be saved. Um, the year was around 8057. The Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his third missionary journey. And uh, he spends three months in a city called Corinth. And it's there in Corinth that he writes the book, the letter to the church of Rome, which is what we know as the book of Romans. He had been establishing churches in Asia Minor and Macedonia, and Galatia, and he's, they're thriving, and, and he's, but he's, he's said, I want to go to Rome. Now, Rome, he didn't plant. He didn't actually start the church in Rome. Tradition holds that Peter started it. Now, there's very little evidence for that. It very well could have been started by people that heard the gospel in, in, um, in Acts chapter 2, we read about them hearing the gospel and then taking it back with them. And it very well could have been started by those people. 
We don't really know. But we do know is that he didn't start it, but he plans a visit. And he wants to go on a number of occasions. He wants to go. So upon leaving Corinth, he plans to go back to Jerusalem, deliver some financial gifts that were for the persecuted church in Jerusalem, those who are struggling under Christ. And then he wants to go to Rome, not to stay in Rome, but to partner with the Roman church and go to Spain. He's going to partner with this church that's thriving in Rome, saying, you're going to help me share the gospel to the people in Spain. And that's his goal. And so as we read the book of, of Romans, we have to keep in mind what his goals are. He wants them to partner with him. And we can try to take things out of context all the time, but we need to remember what his goals are. The church in Rome was a large church consisting of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, tension between the Jewish population and the non-Jewish population in Rome is well documented in history. On a couple of occasions, Jewish people will actually be kicked out of the entire city of Rome. And we're going, that's going to come into play in several of Paul's writings, in this book especially. Now he's writing this letter. As we read, as we read in one, he's writing it to introduce himself and lay a foundation so that when he gets there, they're ready to partner with him. They already know who he is. As I think about this passage, I think about Paul and what he's doing. I think about purpose. Nothing in life can give well, can, can destroy a life as the lack of purpose. You know, it's been shown that the number one reason people are on drugs is because of a lack of purpose. Things like Just Say No, the D.A.R.E. program was a big failure because it was all about, but it had been showing over and time again, you want to keep kids off drugs? Give them a purpose. purpose nothing is so energizing as a life filled with purpose and a life filled with purpose brings focus and drive whether the christian or not christian purpose and it can give empowerment to an ordinary person and make them do amazing things in a divine purpose will take someone ordinary and make them extraordinary. And Paul has this divine purpose. And as he has this goal in mind, all of Paul's writing, you cannot take away the purpose. I've seen a lot of people have bad theology because they've taken away the purpose of Paul. 
call has a purpose, and that is to share the gospel with the world. And so all of his writings have to be read in that, in, with that in mind. Purpose. And he has this purpose. And this purpose, he's, I want to partner with you and bring you in with me and give you a purpose. Church of Rome, he says. Now, when I say church, I don't want you to think of the basilica. Can we go back to that picture? There you go. That's the basilica in Rome. This is one of the big churches in Rome. Often when we think of the word church, we think of this. We think of this building. We think of maybe the Catholic church. And we use it we even in the way we talk about it, right? Well, the church on the corner. That's the way we have our language set up, isn't it? All of this is not what Paul thinks of when he uses the word church. That's why a lot of times I'm going to use the word assembly instead of church. Because when we use the word church, we're thinking of these buildings. Paul's not. In his mind, you can't go to church. You are the church. You can only be the church. And so I might use the word assembly, but what I mean is the same thing. It's the assembly, the body of believers in that town. And so the assembly in Rome, the church of Rome, they would often meet, sometimes they would meet in one large place, and often they would meet in little houses and where they would gather, and they would gather over here, and then gather. but they were all the assembly of Rome. And they would struggle with things in unity because they were of Christ. And, it's, and we, in our society, tend to put more focus on me and I's, right? Instead of we's. And Paul's going to use a lot of language that if we take the we out of it, we get things out of context. Because he's not focused on the we, the, the me as much. He's focused on a we society. That's the society he lives in. He's thinking about the assembly. And he's on a mission. I want you, we might use the word y'all. I want y'all to partner with me as we... God, I'm going to be the one directly going with his team. Paul never travels all by himself. He always has teams of people with him. We're going to go and let's go to Spain. Let's take it. Spain was special in their mindset because it was the furthest out you could get. Depends on what historian you listen to. There might have been people living in the Americas, but they didn't know about that. Spain was as furthest as they go. So he's taking the gospel to the known world. Now he never makes it to Spain. Actually never makes it to Rome unless he's, until he's in shackles. But that's, he's writing this book in full expectation that this is what he's doing. 
And so he's calling the assembly of Rome to be committed to the nations. Interesting enough, that is a call we have as well. It's been handed down to us. We don't like that, right? We don't like the idea that we have callings too. We have the same calling that Paul is calling the, the assembly at Rome to. We have that same. It's been handed down through the disciples from Jesus Christ himself. It's called the Great Commission. Let's talk about the Great Commission for just a second because there was a poll that went out and it really kind of upset me. Most Christians don't know what the Great Commission is. That broke my heart. So when I say the Great Commission, I mean Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And it says, the eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. They saw him. This is after he had been dead and rose from the grave. And he had been, he had been seen among the, the disciples. And he says, go to this mountain. And they worshipped him. Some doubted, but Jesus shows up. And Jesus came near him and says, and this is the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the very end of the age. Great Commission. And that's Paul's focus. He says, if I'm going to take serious the fact that Jesus has called me, I'm going to take serious the fact that I've been called to go. In fact, there's characteristics of Paul that, that he lists out in the book of, in this, this first introduction of Romans. There's three characteristics of Paul that we have. Number one, he's a servant. He's a servant. He's willing to subject himself to the plans and purposes of his Lord and Master. Now, that word servant, I think, is a little too light, to be honest with you. It's not my favorite way to translate the word. The word in the Greek is doulos. And I think we use the word servant because it makes us feel a little better than what it's really talking about. I think the word slave is a little more appropriate because it gives us that right shock factor. He says, I'm a slave. And I think that brings up that same kind of feeling in us today. We're like, ooh, I don't want to be a slave. I don't like slavery. Slavery is bad. And it is. Slavery to other human beings is, is, is wrong. But he's saying, I'm not a slave to any person. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was a place where a servant or slave could voluntarily choose to remain with his master after his period of servitude was completed. And they would um, pierce their, their ear with an awe, symbolizing them that they belonged to the master forever. And that's the idea behind Paul's use of this word slave. 
I freely choose to serve the master forever. And that word slave, that doulos, it would have shocked the Gentile church in Rome, the assembly in Rome. It would have shocked them. In the Jewish brethren, they might have actually seen it as a good thing because there's a lot of talk about being servants to Jesus, uh, to, to God under, in the Old Testament. You can go through the Old Testament. There's lots of talk of, of servant un, under, Christ, under um, what will become Christ, but under God. And people are like, well, you know, so the, but the Gentiles, Rome was filled with slaves. We neglect to realize that Rome was not a great place. It was filled with slaves. Some have estimated that, in fact, the majority of the population of Rome was forced into servitude of one sort or another. To a slave, in the Gentile mind, was to be at the bottom of the social order. Servanthood or slavehood was something to escape. Freedom was the goal. And Paul says, I'm going to give up my freedomhood and willingly submit myself, there's another scary word, submit myself to Christ Jesus. And so, Paul was a servant. He was also an apostle. That word apostles fallen out of favor. The word apostle means someone who was called by Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was probably the last of the apostles. I know some people call themselves apostles today. But see, I can't be an apostle. I've been called by God through the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I have not physically seen Jesus. And that's the requirement to be an apostle. Physically seeing Jesus. And Paul physically saw Jesus on that road to Damascus. And so I'm a disciple of Jesus. But I'm not an actual apostle. Because I'm not physically seeing Jesus. Paul was. Paul, by saying he was apostle, put himself right up there with those disciples those 12 disciples that saw him face to face and walked with him every day. Third thing, Paul was set apart for the gospel of God. Now this may be the most important characteristic of Paul. God has shown him his divine purpose. It's a commission. Go spread the word of God. And Paul is identified as committed to his calling, committed to the people, and committed to the gospel. And as I think of how wonderful that is, I think how we too have been called. And we don't always, a lot of times we spend so much time thinking about, you know, what's my calling? What is my next? 
And wrestling with what your next steps are, your next goals, and your next divine is worthy task, but we get caught up so much looking about the big things, right? When we forget that a lot of times it's just about being faithful in the little things. Your divine calling has already been laid out for you. You've been commissioned. Go ye therefore and spread the name. That's what your calling has been. Go and spread the word. We've been called to be servants, slaves, if you will, to the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been called to be radical obedience through faith. And in our me society, often we talk about, well, what is my goal and my purpose and my plan and my... Maybe it's not about you. That's hard for us. It's hard for me, isn't it? Have you ever heard someone say, well, it's not about you? That's hard for us, isn't it? Like, well, I kind of want it to be about me. I'm feeling this way, and I'm, and, I mean, isn't that what about, I mean, we don't even have truth anymore. We have my truth. I mean, we don't have, I mean, that's the society we live in. We don't know what reality is. We know what my reality is. And it's hard. I know it's hard for me. It's not about me. Because I want to make it about me. You know, God, what are you calling me to do next? And that's a worthy question. I'm not saying it's not. You know, Paul obviously was asking that question, where am I heading next? You called me to be gospel. I'm going, where am we going next? But a purpose to share the love of Jesus Christ, to take the gospel, to spread it to the kingdom. And if you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, you're not called, maybe you're not called to be Paul. You know, he did all kinds of things. Like spoke to people in languages he didn't know because they spoke that language. That's what the gift of tongues is. I mean, that's an amazing gift. I mean, it wasn't just random, talk, it was random, random words that, or syllables. It was he was speaking to those people because he didn't speak that language. And they did. Wow, that's amazing. That's, 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 but you may not be called to be Paul. Oh, but you've been called. You've got the gift of servitude. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. I won't cover this, the gifts, the spiritual gifts. We just did that you know, when we get to that passage. But remember in the book of Romans, there's this whole passage about primary gifts. Say, well, my gift, your gift may be servitude. You say, well, I'm going to share the love of Jesus Christ by serving others. Or maybe mine's giving. That's so why I'm going to give with joy. Or maybe mine's teaching. That's so why I'm going to teach. And maybe mine's prophecy. And I want to prophesy. God has given us gifts. You can go read about those in Romans chapter 12. God has given us gifts. Why has he given us those gifts? Not to make you feel special. But to share the gospel. To share the gospel. 
What's the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ has come and his kingdom is here now and forever. That's the good news. There's hope for a future. There's a hope today in a world that's falling apart and seems And we look at our world, if you guys are watching the news, I recommend not. But if you're watching the news, you're like, wow, it just seems... I mean, it almost feels like we're on the blink of another world war. We're not there yet. Don't be falling for that. We're not there yet. But it feels like we're almost there. We're like, there's, we're like, there's no hope. I mean, housing prices are out the, out the roof. If you bought your house... Your house you know, 10 years ago, you're good. The rest of us, you know, there's, there's drug use, purpose, purposelessness is on the rise, so you're having opiate crisis because people don't know what to do with themselves. They have no purpose, no plans. So you have drug use on the rise, you have alcoholism on the rise, gambling is on the rise, and yes, I know some of you, that's why you moved to to Laughlin because you're going to gamble. <laughs> and some of you have known the pain of when you became addicted to that. And now you usually, well, I used to have. I don't have no more because let me tell you what. If you think you're winning at the tables, I want you to go look at your house, no matter how big it is. And then you go down to those casinos. You're not winning. But as faith, uh, as we live in faith, our purpose is found in the small things that make up the whole of our lives as we live in faith and obedience to Him in Jesus Christ. And isn't that, as we think about what our next steps are, isn't that the, the, the goal is, is to be like Paul? Because he was following after Jesus. We can't be Jesus. We can try to be like him. We can follow after him. But Paul's a great example of someone who's following after Jesus who doesn't make it to Jesus' level. He's not, he's not Jesus. But he's a great example of what we can be. And I think on the next time I think about some of the things we've said today as I read this passage, we're thinking about, do I need to recapture the idea of we instead of me? Is it more about the assembly and less about what I'm doing? Are we the champions, the builders of the church? Not the building, the church. Are we bearers of the good news? Or maybe we've become caught up in neg negativity and traditionalism. You know, as I think about Paul, and I think about, this is an introduction of Paul, and you have two Pauls, right? You have one that was pre-Jesus, right? And he was caught up in things like, this is the way it should be, this is the way it's always been, this is the way it used to be. And you have pre, and then after Jesus, you have this, this, this Paul that's saying, this is what it could be. This is what it... I think some of us have that same mentality, right? 
we struggle with this is the way it used to be. And we get stuck where we used to be. I mean, some of us still think it's the 90s. I know they were a great era. We're not there anymore. Some of you are like, well, no, it was more like the 70s. I'm not going to give away any of you guys' age. Uh, (laughs) One of the hardest things I found for us to do is to realize where we're at instead of way things we wish they were. And being, and we need to realize that, you know, we are where we're at. We need to be working forward with the love of Jesus Christ. And we need to be championing the spirit of, we need to be champions, heralds for the good news of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, what I hear from some people is negativity talk, tearing down talk. And Paul is specifically talking against that. He's saying, we need to be builders up. He's got a goal. Look, he lifts up the church in Rome. He didn't start the church in Rome. They've got issues. Even the church in Corinth, which he writes quite a scathing letter to them because they've gotten... But still, he prays for them and he lifts them up on many occasions. Even though he's quite harsh on them because they've turned away from the teachings of Jesus. But he lifts them up. Tries to build them up. And as we, I think as we develop, delve deeper into the Romans, I think we need to allow its transformative message to build us up as a community and say, what's our purpose? And we say, well, what's my purpose? Well, our purpose has already been given to us by God. We don't have to ask. It's already been given to us. How we do that may differ, but the purpose remains the same. What's that purpose? Not just to get people across the salvation line. That's not what it says, right? Go back to Matthew. It says, go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means bringing them in to follow after Jesus, raising them up. As some of you may be frontline people out there witnessing, and I know some of you have that gift. You're like Paul. Some of you are back in, raising them up. So let's, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be? And our purpose remains the same. Let's share the gospel of Jesus Christ as an assembly Father God, right now, I praise you. Lord, I pray that you would grow in us as we read through Romans, as we study through Romans, as we we live out this letter, as we, we, we think about this letter that Paul wrote so many years ago to a people that aren't us. Lord, that we may have learned from it. Lord, I pray that we recognize the I that's so prevalent in our society, in our, our lives. I mean, even the way we talk about going to, your, to, to worship you, we say, I go to church. Lord, let's recognize that in us so that we may be focused on you.
Lord, we want to we want to know you. We want to see you. We want to want to be. But we want to be your heralds. Share the word of Jesus Christ through these gifts you have given us to the world. Let us partner with you as we take your good news, your kingdom to those around us in this world that seems to be falling apart and we know it's broken. Bring your healing through us, into us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to go to a time invitation, which is a time we invite you to make.